Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Well, we are going to continue in our series in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning and uh, verses 1 through to 15. So if you have your Bible, do turn uh, with me and follow with me as I read uh, the passage. So Paul writes, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, the abundance of joy and the extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet, for your sakes, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is in a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need. So there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Just so far, reading of God's Word. Lord, thank you for uh, the Word that you have preserved for us. And even as we again turn this morning, we are praying, we do pray that your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, would stir within our hearts and even among us as a people, as a congregation, Lord, to be obedient in submission to all that you have revealed about yourself and, Lord, about that which you would have us do and be as well. So, Lord, the words of my mouth, I pray that these would be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I do want to just give some context uh, to the passage. We do see that Paul has been very involved in missionary activity uh, in the area of Asia and Europe, as we would know today. And in addition to this, he was also involved in raising funds. Not always the topic we want to speak about, but in as much as he was busy with evangelism and church planting, he also was active in raising money. We see this kindness described by Paul uh, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 15, verse 25. At present, however, 
I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So he's been collecting money so that he could deliver help to those in need. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now the saints in Jerusalem had gone through some difficulty right from the very beginning. From the earliest days there had been hostility from the Jews, the Jewish population, and also there had been famine in the particular area. We read about that in the book of Acts. So what happens? There's an appeal that comes to the wealthier churches, wealthier urban centers in this area known as Achaia, and Corinth is in that particular area. It had brought some relief, uh, something that these Corinthians had initially responded to. We, chapter 8, verse 10, who a year ago, so sometime before, had not only uh, had started not only to do this work, but also had the desire to do it. We also find in 1 Corinthians, a previous letter, chapter 16, Paul giving instructions how they were to take a collection for the relief fund. Helping poorer people, helping people in need. Uh, these contributions would then be available. The apostle would uh, receive them when he arrived, and then he would pass it on, and in this instance, to the believers, the, the suffering believers in Jerusalem. Now, here's the problem. Unfortunately, since the launch of the enthusiasm and the desire and the willingness to get involved, the Corinthian enthusiasm had waned no longer so keen to contribute to uh, be part of this collection and and yes it, it may have been part of this anti-paul sentiment that was among the people uh, of corinth but now there's been process of reconciliation and clarification and paul has been reassured by titus that the corinthians are once again on board with him. And so Paul includes these two chapters to renew some of the commitment in the participation in the sharing of those in need. And I'm convinced this morning it can help us. There is a message here as Paul shares with these Corinthians about their tight fistedness. Is that something we know about? Not at Central, I don't think, but 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 tight an unwillingness, a stinginess that had evolved and, and, and developed and be, become part of the Corinthian uh, activity. And so it helps us understand and also to be challenged in the way that we give to others. This passage primarily is not about the budget in the church. This is not about tithing. This is a passage about generosity to help those in need. And so we're going to see something of that today, and, and Paul holds up these churches of Macedonia as an example of generosity, demonstrating, and my first point this morning, giving is what Christians do. I want us to think about that this morning. Giving is what Christians do. So in my family, over the years, we have always had Labradors. Some of you have Labradors. Some of you have puppies of my Labradors. Okay. So what is it about a Labrador that I want to illustrate this morning? Well, unlike a Labrador with food, 
The Labrador is like a vacuum cleaner with food. A Christian is more like a sprinkler at the end of a supply of water through a hose. Do you get the difference? Labrador just consumes. But when you're a sprinkler at the end of a hose, you're sharing, enriching, nourishing. So Paul, Paul here wants the Corinthian believers to see that something spiritual had happened to this group of people, these people in Macedonia, that had resulted in an unexpected, unnatural, selfless generosity. Verse 1, we know this verse. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. These people had received the grace of God. They were undeserving recipients of the generous kindness of God. And, and we need to pause there. And even as I prayed earlier on, that we would also understand more of who God is. And in, in this particular instance, this God who is rich in mercy, giving to undeserving men and women and children the gift of salvation. I would imagine, just like when the sight of a blind man is restored, he cannot help but admire the beauty, the absolute beauty of the world around him. Trees and mountains and streams. Isn't it true? Just like when a hearing, uh, the hearing of a deaf person is restored, he or she cannot help but enjoy the, the early morning song of a bird. Appreciate that. Respond to that. And so the analogy when a spiritually dead man or woman is given new life with God, they cannot help but express in some way evidence of that life. The magnitude of generosity from God toward us sinners is such that it far exceeds the capacity of that person. I wonder if you could think of yourself this morning before you were converted as a dry sponge. But then being converted, being a recipient of God's generous grace and mercy, it's like you being a dry sponge being placed under a stream of water. You cannot contain the water in the sponge. That's my point. Because the sponge fills to capacity and it oozes. It leaks. Jesus made a similar point when he was teaching regarding the issue of forgiveness. Remember that parable of the unmerciful servant. And he forgives this servant an indescribable uh, indebtedness to him. And that servant goes off and strangles somebody who owes him just a little. And uh, the point in the parable that Jesus makes is, Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You've received so much. How can you not give to others? And so when we get to the issue of generosity received, it results in not tight-fistedness, but big-heartedness. Negatively, and I've got to state this negatively, stinginess 
is evidence that the sponge is dry. The absence of grace. Again, look at the Macedonians in the second verse. For in a severe test of affliction, the abundance of joy, the extreme poverty have overflowed. You get the picture here? There's an oozing. Overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In Macedonia, things are bad. The economy is not great for the ordinary citizen. They had what is described by uh, theologians or commentators as an exploited economy. In other words, people were taking advantage of the ordinary citizen. On top of that, the Christians were suffering because of persecution that was prevalent in the church. Even some of them had their property confiscated. And yet, instead of using their lack of resources as an excuse for not helping others, Paul tells us that there's this extraordinary sacrificial nature of giving. But I want to add, the giving comes as a result or doing so, let me rather put it in these, this, these words, doing so responsibly without having their arms twisted, and I'm not doing that here this morning, not having their arms twisted, and no emotional manipulation. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And, and then he, he shows that the commitment is, is, is not to an individual uh, in the first instance or even in the first instance to the need. Verse 5, and this not as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord. We give as unto the Lord. Wherever we give, our generosity is unto God. And then by the will of God, as Paul says to them as apostles, to distribute the money. And so again, uh, Instead of the calculated thriftiness of an accountant, Rudy, sorry brother, I couldn't help resisting that. Okay. They demonstrated the irrational extravagance of a lover. Isn't that different? When you give out of love, or you give to some body that you love, not just money they were contributing, themselves. Unto the Lord, they gave heartfelt giving, not mechanical activity, a warmth of personal consecration infusing the act of giving. Lord, this is for you, uh, from you, to you, to the glory of your name. It was Christ-centered, spiritually motivated, and this brought about extravagance of generosity and cheerful willingness in doing it. Now, my first point, since giving is what Christians do, Paul goes on to tell them this is why he sent them to uh, send Titus to them. And so he says in verse 6, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Well, since the poor and afflicted Macedonian believers were involved in this act of giving and grace, the question is, should not the wealthier Corinthians not also step up to the plate of generosity? And my second point, excel therefore in the grace of giving. Verse 7. But as you excel in everything, 
in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, yes, it is true. Excellence in all areas of ministry. Now, I want to make a confession here. On a Tuesday morning, we have a reflection of our services on a Sunday, and uh, we repeatedly focus, unfortunately, on the negative. So publicly today, Isaac, I want to acknowledge, good job this morning, brother. Okay, and, and excelling, excelling in leading us in worship today. We thank God for that. We ought to do that. We ought to excel in everything, faith, in speech, knowledge, earnestness, in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. It's commended that we do all things well, all areas of ministry. We ought to commend that. We ought to compliment that. But don't be blind to the gaping hole that exposes the state of a heart. Verse 8. I say this not as a command. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your, that your love also is genuine. Now what's the point he's making? The point is that true generosity is the expression, the spontaneous expression of love. There's no need uh, for Paul to command them, you must do this. No, no, no. Instead, he seeks to prove the genius, genuineness of their love by measuring it by the earnestness or the zeal of the Macedonians. I quote theologian Charles Hodge, and then I'm going to say it for us ordinary people afterwards. But this is what he says. The true test of the genuineness of any inward if affection is not so much the character of the feeling as it reveals itself in the consciousness as the course of action to which it leads. Many persons regard themselves as truly compassionate, but a judgment founded on their acts would lead to the opposite conclusion. Now what's that in plain English? Shedding a few tears is not of much help unless those tears lead to compassionate action. Doing. Like we see in the Macedonian believers. Why did it happen there? How does it happen and should it happen in us? You see, there's no need to drive the Corinthians or any other believer with a whip or a stick regarding generosity. For every true, true believer, now this is the crucial passage, the part of this passage, every true believer can do no other than pursue Christ-likeness. You all agree with that? What does Christ-likeness look like in this context? Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's Christ-likeness. Now let's think through that. And I could do, and I have done sermons on that whole verse, but I can't do that this morning. Just a couple of comments. Redemption. Now let's personalize that. Your redemption as a sinner, accomplished by Jesus, having descended from the heights of glory. 
to the depths of humiliation. Contemplate that truth, that reality. Redemption for sinners accomplished by Jesus, the righteous, the perfectly righteous second person of the Trinity, taking on human flesh and dying the death of a criminal. You've got to get that gap of, of richness to poverty and, 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 and the accomplishment of poverty of those who are poor to become rich. Another comment. Redeeming sinners from the curse of the law. That's us. That's all people. Accomplished by Jesus becoming a curse for us. And so my point here this morning that I really want to drive home is generosity for the believer is more than following the example of Jesus. It's much more than that. It is also the result of this redemption that has been accomplished by Jesus, applied into the lives of individual men and women. Subjectively, by the Spirit of God, now being made alive in Christ, to use the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, or now being a new creature in Christ, now, as it were, being alive to God, preoccupation with self-interest is abolished. Now active, generous concern for others, and primarily for God, comes into the reality. So two last comments I want to make, and then a conclusion. What then does Paul give us some practical examples or practical ways of excelling in the grace of giving? Well, the first one is, is uh, simply get on with being generous. Just do it. Do it. Do it. Do what Christians do. Corinthian believers, you had started well. You had the desire. Well, put the hiccup behind you and continue in the participation. Verse 10. And in this matter, I'll give you my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also have the desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Be encouraged to get back into the saddle of generosity in giving to others who stand in need. Get involved and continue to do what you've been doing. Encourage to give out of what you have. There's a very important principle. Give out of what you have. Don't waste your time and energy on what I call speculative giving. I have a story, and some of you have heard my story, and I'm going to say it again or share it again today, and you'll probably hear it again, God willing, into the future. Because I have heard along the way, in my experience in ministry of people coming to me, young people, teenagers or young adults, I'm going to start a business. And the profits of my business, I'm going to give to the Lord's work. Well, do they? Well, listen to my story. There's a story of two cockney boys who were testing their lifelong devotion for each other. The first little boy said to the other, Hey, Bobby, if you had a million pounds, would you give me off? Of course I would, he said. What about if you had a thousand pounds? Oh, I'd give you half of them, he replied. What about if you had a thousand marbles? I'd give you half of them, he replied. What about if you had two marbles? 
Oh, that's jolly well not fair. You know I've got two marbles. That little story tells the story, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Verse 12. If the readiness is there, it is not accepted according to what a it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Second comment, practical comment. Participate in the compassionate response of need. In fact, there's need all around us, and we know that in our own communities and even further afield. Um, but what the apostle is saying here is that it should not be a one-way street. There is a mutual participation. There's a reciprocation. It's not giving in one direction only. It is true in this context, in the present situation, the Corinthians are well off. They can help with the needs in Jerusalem. However, Paul is saying there may be a day where that situation is reversed. And then the Jerusalem believers will help the Corinthian believers. Have a look at verse 13. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, and that, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it, is, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. Now the final line, as I'm just going to comment on that, is actually from the book of Exodus, a reference to the way the Jews in the wilderness were fed when God provided manna from heaven. Well, one of those supernatural aspects, if you remember the narrative, is that the manna that was acquired could only be acquired in terms of what you needed. So whether you collected sensibly what you needed or whether you collected greedily, when you got home, everybody found they had as much as they needed. So the lesson here that God is showing is that God gives enough for everyone. But sometimes we must do some sharing so that others do not go hungry. Right, conclusion. I'm going to preface this conclusion with a Baptist principle. Central Baptist Church, we teach and we practice what we call regenerate church membership. Now, what's that got to do with this message? Well, generosity ought, therefore, to be evident among us. We are recipients of grace. The members of this church have publicly declared, even going through the waters of baptism, the, the, the experience of coming to faith, having their sins forgiven, and experience this abundant generosity from God. Generosity ought to be evident, and if I may encourage you today, it is. It really is evident among us. And I want to give you some examples in case you don't know. We don't always know what's going on in the rest of the church. Some of you contribute to a fund that we have in our budget as well, called a benevolent fund. We help people in need. You help people in need. In some of the ways that we are assisting at the moment, we uh, issue, I think, Michelle, it's about 25, 26 different families receive grocery vouchers every month. They have food on their table. Your generosity. Many of you participating in that. We also assist in situations of crisis 
families or individuals find themselves in a particular financial crisis, and when they share that with us, we, 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 we respond as we are able. Obviously, we can only respond with the resources we have, but I can assure you that we are repeatedly able to assist people who aren't uh, suddenly in a crisis of, of not being able to pay their water and lights, or we have some families who struggle and live from hand to mouth and, and, and can't pay their rent, or we, and we try and help. In our budget, now I'm, I'm trying to give you an idea of what's going on in this area. In our budget, we also have a line item to assist a pastor, and we decided to do this some years ago, who ministers in an area where more than 95% of his congregation is unemployed. They're never going to be able to support their pastor. So Central Baptist Church tries to assist. And I'm also aware of members in our church that assist that same pastor. Over the years, another area we've tried to help in, we are helping another pastor in the Eastern Cape to pay his children's school fees. Can't pay his school fees. He has a church in an informal settlement. And so we help him. Many of you have got involved over the years in what we've called the blanket fund. And we distribute blankets in, in the winter months of the year here in Pretoria. Those of you who don't know, our ministry at Glenhaven, the retirement uh, center, we also have a component of that ministry where we help elderly folk who can't and don't have or can't afford and don't have a roof over their heads. We help them. Uh, again, it comes from funds that are raised and, and funds that, 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 that are brought uh, to what we call the Good Samaritan Fund. Some years ago, we, with Waterkloof Baptist Church, started a hidden treasure store. Some of you know about that store. It's the Waterkloof Glen at the Waterkloof Glen Shopping Center. Those profits are, are, are distributed to two ministries. Orphan Care Ministry, Widows and Orphans, Bethesda Outreach, and the Good Samaritan Fund at Glenhaven. And some of you, I wish it was more of you, could volunteer at the Hidden Treasure Store. You can allocate four hours a week, or I think that's the minimum, uh, four hours in a slot. Uh, or you can go and donate goods or go visit the store and buy stuff. And if I remember correctly, we, we are distributing in the area of about 50,000 rand a month between those two ministries from profits from that store. A wonderful thing. People generously, sacrificially giving. I also want to add this morning that I am aware of individual members who privately and generously support people who are destitute. Now my question at the end of this message is, can we do more? Of course, we can always do more. And I would trust this message this morning, the Holy Spirit to have stirred in our hearts. As a church, we don't want to only be concerned about ourselves as individuals or ourselves as a local church. We are blessed as a local church. How can we help others? How can we do that individually? How can we do that corporately? Having experienced, being reminded even this morning of the greatness of the grace of God to us in Jesus, stirring in our hearts greater levels of generosity as an outflow of that abundant grace. And Lord, I pray to that end. Won't you stir, uh, Lord, meaningful 
commitment in our hearts and lives, that we wouldn't be, Lord, those who can be described as tight-fisted, but rather, Lord, open-hearted. But more importantly, Lord, that, that this open-heartedness be as unto you, our Lord and Savior, the giver of grace and life, every good and perfect gift coming from above. And so bless us, Lord, and, and help us to bless others, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.